0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Oh, man, Ivanka Osmak just tweeted the best picture of herself in the dentist chair watching Ken Reed talk on the uh, on the show here a couple of moments ago. Again, the book called Hometown Hockey Heroes. Ken Reed. According to Stephen Brunt, this is his best book yet, and it looks awesome. I can't wait to crack the spine of this one as soon as the program is over, but before then, we have a lot of business. Very serious business, and when we have serious business to do, we bring in Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Hello, senior writer at ESPN. Greg Wyshynski here to talk about serious business.
0: Uh, Very serious. Always very serious, indeed. Indeed, Did, very let serious. Me, let,
1: let, me, let me ask you something. So, uh, just had Reader on, and I know you love Kenny, and his new book is all about, you know, the local legend, the local hockey hero that never... Ended up really going anywhere. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I had Bruce Dowie who played for the Marlboros and he was like my guy. I thought he was, you know, the best netminder I had ever seen when I was, I don't know, 11 years old or 10 years old or whatever it was. He was my like hometown hero, like the the local legend. Did you have a local legend in your community? Like someone that eh, never worked out. You know, Paul Saundercook was another one of mine. I ended up playing Henry Carr. With Mike Fuda, years and years later, but did you have like a local legend that you gravitated to that never quite made it? No. <laughs> I mean, like,
0: <laughs> so like, so here's the thing: like, my I, I was just telling somebody the other day that like I grew up in a town next to um, a rink. Yeah. And uh, you know, so to, to to put a geographic uh, spin on it, there's a couple of people that grew up in towns near me. That did make it like I couldn't tell you who didn't make it, mm-hmm. but I could tell you who did make it and who did make it was Connor Clifton, whose uh, uh, parents actually lived two doors down from my parents in Matawan, um, which is kind of fun. And I once mentioned this to Connor Clifton and he could not have cared less. Uh, <laughs> so that's one. <laughs> and,
1: and then hey, we're and the hey, other. buddies, hey, uh, right. Like, yeah, no, beat it. And then the other, which is uh, uh, more salient. Flows.
0: Yeah, exactly. The other one that's more salient is, uh, uh, James Van Riemsdyk, uh, grew up like two towns over from me in Jersey in uh, Red Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, or actually, I'm sorry, not Red Bank, uh, Middletown. He grew up in Middletown and, uh, he and I, uh, once bonded by talking about when we were younger, him being, being younger than me, uh, you, there was a giant lake behind my house and he had access to the lakes too. And, you know, the stories that we shared of finding like the heaviest cinder block you could find to throw <laughs> on the ice to make yeah. sure that you would not then go through it yep. when you went on the ice was a, a shared experience growing up in central New Jersey. Uh, so both those guys made it, you know, Re- Van Riemstijk obviously had a more accomplished career than, than Clifton has. Uh, but those are guys that kind of grew up around me that made the show. I had probably more guys that played football, right? Didn't that, that were like local legends that didn't uh, make it or or made a a quick splash uh, than guys who played hockey.
1: Isn't isn't baseball popping big in New Jersey now? It's always been
0: kind of big. That was my sport growing up. I was a pitcher uh, until it became apparent that once you get to the high school level, if you can't throw really, really hard. They don't yeah. really have any use for you. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a it, not a whole lot of Gre- Greg Maddox types, uh, on high school baseball teams. Cause basically <laughs> they just want you going up there and being flamethrowers because guys can't really catch up with the ball. Yep. Uh, but yeah, no baseball's always been big football's always been big. Uh, I, I, I went to school with a kid named Charlie Rogers who actually made the NFL as a kick returner, I think for both the bills and the Seahawks. And, uh, and he was a, he was a friend of mine in high school. So You know, it was much more like, I I think of all the major sports, it was probably football that probably produced the most Mm -hmm. NFL players, mid-range prospects, anything else where I was growing up.
1: Okay. Last night, 16 games. Monday, one game. Wednesday, (laughs) one game. But we got 16 of them uh, yesterday. Here's the opening salvo. For me, it was Detroit-Seattle. What was the best game for you last night?
0: Oh, I mean, Detroit, Seattle had the most uh, intrigue and and the most fireworks. I enjoyed that one and a throwing um,
1: and a thrown stick
0: and a thrown stick. A little bit of controversy, <laughs> always like that. Yep. I, I enjoyed staying up and watching a bit of the um, the Flyers, Golden Knights game. The Flyers certainly have been pesky, and the Knights are you know unstoppable at this point. Yeah, uh, and I also enjoyed the uh, tease that was the Oilers wild game where for two a while period, it looked two like two periods two periods yeah geez, for two, two, period two periods yeah, yeah then then things got out of hand but for two periods it looks like we, were, we looked like we were going to have uh what uh Bill Simmons has affectionately called Ewing theory through the years where you take uh the best player off the team and everybody rallies around that and they they end up winning I mean it's not like the the the, the well is dry they still have dry cycle there obviously but like yeah. um I, it really looked like the Oilers were going to kind of put it together without Connor in the lineup, and then they did it for two periods, and then things clearly changed for our, uh, well, again, Merrick, heavy heavy is the head that should wear the crown in Mm -hmm. Edmonton as they continue this early season spiral, despite being anointed by idiots like me to be future Stanley Cup champions.
1: Again, it's early last night. I, I checked with the league this morning, as Brian Burke always likes to say. I checked with the league this morning, and they are not handing out the Stanley Cup in October. They're not. I checked. They're not going to do it. They're going to wait till June. So we'll see what happens by then. But you're, you're like, you mentioned Vegas a second ago. Let's throw Colorado into that mix as well. Um, they're like on a different planet right now. And we thought that Edmonton was going to be on that planet with them. Man, that's a, that looks like a humongous gap right now. And the, the one thing, more so Vegas than Colorado, although I don't think Colorado gets enough credit for defending, man, Vegas defends well. I know yeah, they yeah. score and it's fun, but man, do they ever? And it's funny. I was having this conversation with someone over the weekend, a couple of people actually, about how the nature of defending in the league now. And one person was saying it's it's not the way it used to be because defensemen, much like forwards, are looking for cookies, looking for cookies. Got to get that. And the point that he was making was, you look at the early success of the Detroit Red Wings. No one there is looking for cookies. No, everyone in the on the on the back end, do they get beat off the rush? Well, yeah, sometimes. They're not the most mobile defense but they defend and he said i know the accent is on offense and high flying and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. but it's the teams that generally know how to defend well that win the stanley cup case in point i don't know vegas tampa we'll see what happens with the carolina hurricanes if they can course correct here sooner than later you have a thought on the nature of defending in the nhl i've had people say as much as the skill is the greatest that it's ever been in the league Nobody defends anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think that's true at all. I think the good teams do that well, and and like you said, I mean, you know, in Tampa's case, they only started winning Stanley Cups when they learned how to defend on a playoff level, and and learned how to. And John Cooper learned how to convince these guys that that is what was going to get them over the championship uh, conference championship round hump. And and they took a step back in the regular season to figure it out too, which you know is something that I think is an important part of their origin story as back to back champions, which is that they got you know knocked on their behinds right. by the Columbus Blue Jackets, and then Coop got their attention to say we're not playing the way that we should, and and then there was buy in, and then they became a juggernaut. In Vegas's case, like the story of the playoffs was how they defended, in particular how they defended in front of Aiden Hill, mm-hmm. where yeah they got like the best. Three weeks of that guy's career, as far as the way he was playing in goal, but you know, it was the way that they played in front of him that certainly facilitated that happening. Um, the Red Wings, as a you mentioned Detroit, right, as a, as a good team, a good defending team mm-hmm. this season. Um, I, I don't know if the numbers necessarily bear that out. They're they're 26th right now and expected goals against the five on five. Where, where I think the Red Wings are interesting is. You know, last season, the Devils and the Kraken were fifth and fourth overall, respectively, in goals per game. And while they both had their virtues as defensive teams um, and were both, in some cases, undercut by, by troubling goaltending, I, I feel like the, those were teams that certainly learned how to score their way out of problems. And when I look at Detroit right now, I am trying to figure out if what, they're, what they've are what they been able to do off, and it's been really impressive, is going to continue and that they're the team that makes the leap because they've become the Kraken or they've become the Devils, wherein their offense is so overwhelming and Debrinket and Larkin are so good that they're going to be able to score their way out of problems this year. Because I, I do think that they still have some problems overall system, systemically on that team.
1: The thing that I worry about, I mean, listen. Going into the season, we did worry about the goaltender, uh, the uh, the the blue line, and, and would say things like, "Well, they have you know five third pairing defensemen," um, but to me, the goaltending still scares me. Yeah. All around, the goaltending scares me there, and it's quite obvious that they're scared of goalie waivers, as are a couple of other teams around the NHL. Oh, by the way, just as we're as we're um, just, as I mentioned, goaltending. Uh, do you have a thought on the Buffalo Sabres goaltending situation here where, you know, you talk about, you know, the the weight of the crown placed on you. Well, that was put on <laughs> Devin Levi with the Buffalo Sabres. And it? right now we had yeah. Comrie have a really good game against the Islanders. Tough one against the Montreal Canadiens on Monday. And then Uka Lukanin, who hasn't played a game in three weeks, or an NHL regular season game going back to last season, played really well. I mean, like, good for him. Uh, and this is a back-to-back yeah. for the Buffalo Sabres. Lukanin was really good. Uh, is this now an official goalie controversy in Buffalo?
0: Well, it, it, you know, it's, Comrie's an interesting one because I've, I was told sort of anecdotally that, that Don Granado was fond of him, wanted to keep him around, uh, obviously hadn't acquitted himself well since signing that big contract a couple off seasons ago, but you know, he's off to a pretty good start and then they get a decent goaltending last night too. Um, the problem with Devin Levi is that he was thrown into this mix Uh, as a pure rookie expected to kind of find his way in this league behind a team that, again, is defensively challenged. Like, it's really easy, or or I shouldn't say really easy, but much easier for uh, a young goaltender to kind of find their way if they know that the team in front of them is going to kind of take care of business. And as of right now, the Buffalo Sabres, again, expected goals against 5-on-5 are 24th, which is not good. (laughs) And so, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how you're supposed to find your footing as a young goalie when you're going to see that kind of business going on in front of you. So yeah, he, he was thrown into the fray. He may not be ready for prime time. They're getting decent goaltending out of the other two. The Detroit one, though, that you bought up in their goaltending, I think is a, is a is a good one because as much as I do like Huso, I've always liked Husso, and I think he's he's going to be fine. But we've seen this from Reimer, like in the entirety of his career. Like, like he's got a a point. He's got a one goal one goal uh, against average right now. Okay, in in two starts. He's been great. He's been fantastic. We've seen this happen for two weeks at a time for a really long time with him. He's 35 now. Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable. And once he turns back into a pumpkin and he will, then you start to wonder, okay, what's that going to look
1: like? (sighs) Pittsburgh Penguins and Washington Capitals. You know, it's interesting. Last night, um, the Washington Capitals kicked it off with, uh, with a loss against the Toronto Maple Leafs where Alex Ovechkin had 14 shots on nets. 14, <laughs> awesome. like his, I don't know how, yeah, like ice those 13 shoulders. Of it by the second period. I know. Like, like he was insane last like, night. He's yeah. going to break the NHL record. Well, soon he's going to break his own record. He didn't either. But nonetheless, 14 shots on nets uh, by Alexander Ovechkin. Um, a botched uh, penalty shot as well. I'm not still, do this. I can't figure out why he's going to his backhand. But okay. Um uh so Alex Ovechkin 14 shots finds the back of the net once. Um we watch the Pittsburgh Penguins and they flame out again and you look at the Metropolitan standings and I know we haven't even hit the 10 game mark yet but teams 7 or 8 are the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals. Now Pittsburgh has changed over a large large part of this team. The Washington Capitals as we know are, you know, healthy which is key specifically to John Carlson. And as long as Ovechkin is chasing Gretzky's record, nothing is going to change in their MO. Namely, they are going to surround Alex Ovechkin with players that will help get him that record. And I'm fine with that, considering everything he's done for the Washington Capitals organization. Um, Where's Greg Wyshynski at on both of these teams? Do we make our mind up about either one of them, uh, one of them, or neither of them? Because we haven't seen them play enough yet this year.
0: I think the Penguins will be all right. Like they're, they're still trying to kind of find their way a little bit and find their groove a little bit. And, yeah, you know, they've taken some L's, but I, I think they'll be fine. The, the, cap, the Capitals, so you mentioned how the Penguins had a lot of turnover, right? The Capitals had the opportunity to have a lot of turnover. They had a ton of cap space that come available to them in the offseason. They had a lot of guys. If you looked at their cap friendly page last season, um, you saw red. Like there were so many yeah. guys that were unrestricted free agents, it, and if you took all of the guys that were up uh, last summer and looked at them now, I think they probably resigned like eighty five percent of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so I never got that. It was all <laughs> of the, honest, it was
1: like, mo- most of it was on the back end too. Remember, like oh, they'll handle it. Have, was all like,
0: the back end too. Players
1: it, under contract.
0: This is what I'm talking about. But like, like they weren't a good team. Like they weren't a successful team. Well, and, and so hang, hang on not, to that. Hang on, you... hang
1: on to that for one second, please. I don't yeah. know that there's a team that was stung more by an injury than Washington sure. with John Carlson. That injury hurt. Okay, the Capitals I, more than any other injury hurt any other team.
0: And without question, and they didn't have Wilson for a good portion of last year too. But like, okay, you had a chance to do something that was really important for this roster, which is to get younger. And and to
1: get different. They don't want to because you Greg, they don't want. Well, to. that's what I about. They want the Gretzky they, record. They don't, There's no rebuild here. They,
0: yeah. So so again, the franchise exists right now as a vessel for Alex Ovechkin to set a record, which is fine. If that's the, 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 the thing that you want to do, that's great because, you know, he's made you a lot of money and he helped win you a Stanley Cup. And and he he, he made this organization into an ATM machine or ATM machine. I just the thing I always call out people for just an ATM machine is in the acronym. Um, (laughs) So, like, if you want to go down that path, that's fine. And give him the security blanket of signing Backstrom for services rendered, certainly not for what he's going to do going forward and and hand out those kinds of contracts. If you want to do that, that's fine. Uh, He's he's earned the right and you've earned the right to build that kind of team. But the best thing for the Capitals this season is to be absolutely terrible, is to be absolutely terrible. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe they bought everybody back because they figured this would increase the chances they could get in the lottery. Because they need to start figuring out what the thing after Ovechkin is going to be. And you start figuring that out by having success in the draft. And you can't do that if you're going to be this sort of like mushy, mid— Wild card contending team that I think that they could be under different circumstances. So I applaud the Capitals in their current incarnation, which is to watch Alex Ovechkin shoot the puck every time it's on a stick in trying to catch this record, while at the same time not being a, a successful team, mm. landing one of the top three he- picks in the draft, and starting to think about what life after Ovi is going to be like. That's the best case scenario for this team.
1: I don't think they do that until the morning after eight ninety five. Until no, that, until, both. until that record is broken, you you can
0: absolutely do both. Like that's the glory of 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 if they're not good this year. And, and I know that you know. I talked to Ovechkin. I talked to Leonsis. I know the thought is he re-signed Washington to be on a successful team, to be on a relevant team, and and they're trying. Sure, they're trying. They're they're resigning all the familiar faces. They're hoping to at least be a wild card contender. If you you get in, maybe you win. But I'm telling you. The best thing for this franchise going forward is to have Ovechkin keep scoring goals, keep pressuring the record, hopefully set it one day, and then, you know, win the lottery this year. And then so all of what, a sudden, Macklin's on your team. I was going to
1: say, so you're in, in in your hockey heaven here for the Washington Capitals. Alex Ovechkin scores goal number 895 assists to Macklin Celebrini.
0: Yes! oh my God, can you imagine if they win the lottery (laughs) this year and one of those, you know, him or, you know, one of those top three guys, you know, whether it's him or or Iceman or or whomever. Yeah, like they're on that team next season. And now all of a sudden you've got a little bit of direction because the problem for the Capitals right now is your direction is clearly pointed in, Servicing Alex Ovechkin, getting this record, and then he retires or goes plays in Russia, and then you don't know what the hell you are after that. Because you've got no you've got nothing. You've got mm. you're just like, but but if you can win the lottery, you know, this season or you know, grab one of those top picks, then then at least now while servicing Ovechkin in this record, you can start to kind of think, all right, what's the next thing gonna be for this franchise? because um, right now the next thing for this franchise is Alex Ovechkin appreciation night the year after, and that'll be your only sellout. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you need you need a little bit more beyond that. And, and so if they're terrible and he's still scoring goals, that's the best case scenario for this team.
1: Let's head west. Um, Vancouver Canucks, who find themselves second in the Pacific, as we all predicted, as uh, both the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers... Oh, boy, stagger into the Heritage Classic on Sunday. Uh, your thoughts on Vancouver and salvaging a road trip? I mean, it seemed like a cozy five minutes ago The Rick Tockett was blasting the team in Philadelphia after dropping one uh, to the Flyers after starching the Oilers in spectacular fashion to open up the season. Um, that's got to be considered a really successful road trip uh, early in the season for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Quinn Hughes is playing great. JT Miller is playing great. Elias Pedersen is playing great. Uh, eventually, we're going to see a Connor Garland deal here. Funny, we just talked about Washington. Could there be a fit there? I wonder. Uh, where's Greg Wachinski at on the Vancouver Canucks right now?
0: I think Quinn Hughes is is, is going to end up being where people think that Miro Heiskanen should be positioned, which is the guy that is playing so well that his Norris candidacy becomes undeniable. Like he's been so good. Yeah. He's getting over 25 a night, like doing everything that's asked of him, wearing the C proudly. Like Quinn's been insane. Uh, can you, can we expect to see Elias Pettersson practicing empty net goals? Uh, <laughs> at the next <laughs> Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> that guy had a couple of chances last night to end that thing. Couldn't yeah. do it. Couldn't end the thing. Yeah. Um, which had to be a little frustrating for him, but a W is a W look. I had him as a playoff team. I feel confident in that, in that now. Uh, I like the, I, one of the reasons I liked them as a playoff team is I like the idea that Rick Tockett was going to get a full training camp with this team, yeah. a better understanding of the roster, a better understanding of the buttons to push. This is a guy who already like three games into the season was calling his team soft. And like the, the pedal is going to be down on these mm. guys, to play the kind of hockey he wants them to play, and I think they're responding. And and so the early returns on Vancouver have to be encouraging. Hopefully, they can stay healthy. But but so far so good.
1: Uh, health, the big one there. Like I, I look at Vancouver, and I didn't have them as a playoff team. But if they stay healthy, and everyone around them continues to 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 fall apart, and I ultimately think Edmonton's going to course correct. I don't know about Calgary. Let me, let me get your thoughts on that one, too. We heard Blake Coleman talk about, I hate losing. We heard Nikita Zadorov wonder about, you know, who's playing for themselves and who's playing for the team. And now I think, you know, everyone's playing, you know, Agatha Christie novel and trying to figure out, okay, who was he talking about? Um, you know, is he, is he looking off players on passes? Oh, it must be that guy. Uh, do you have a thought on the Calgary Flames here? A tough one last night against the Rangers. When Shishjurkin's playing like that, it's going to be tough. And when you give up power plays to the New York Rangers and Chris Kreider's out there, it's going to be tough. Uh, Alexi Lafreniere with the power play goal, too, as well. Uh, thoughts on the Flames, Mr. Wyshynski?
0: I hate I hate banging the same drum, but, like, again, the amount of offense and the amount of offensive focal points that have left this team within the last two years is unrecoverable. You don't lose Kachuk and Goudreau and then also lose over 30 goals and Tyler Toffoli and, and expect to be a contending team. I, I know people really thought like, all right, well, Daryl Sutter's the problem, you eliminate the problem, and, and now and now everything's going to course correct. And I think a lot of people also thought that with Vladar and, and Markstrom and, and Wolfen waiting, like the goaltending was going to be maybe good enough to secure a playoff spot. But I've been saying this now for two years, Merrick, on this show and other places, that this is a supporting cast in search of a star. And until that's remedied, and hopefully, again, like the Jonathan Huberto bounce back is a real thing and he can find his game again, although he's sitting at a minus seven this year. Um, you know, until they can remedy that, it, it's it's not going to be a team whose who's sum total is going to end up being a playoff spot in the Pacific Division.
1: Uh, before we wrap, I want to get your thoughts on decentralizing the draft. The votes are in. Next step is discussion at the GM's, discussion at the Board of Governors, there's a lot of reasons. Like I'm, I'm really biased on this one because I love the draft. But I love the draft from a, a number of different perspectives. I love the draft because I've always been someone who's followed the draft and enjoy everything about it. I like it for the players. I like it for the families. I like it for rights holders and sponsors and the teams and, and equipment manufacturers and the Players Association, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It seems as if all of this is being thrown out because the schedule is too tight around free agency. That is my biased way to ask you, (laughs) my biased way to ask you what you think about the idea of decentralizing the draft, because I really do wonder if we are headed that direction, if I'm reading the tea leaves right here.
0: Well, first of all, I think it's mighty big of you to admit that the the media always gets accused of driving stories for their own self-interests, like (laughs) a a philosophical or political perspective. No, no, I'm just pushing this out of the draft. This is absolutely a media-driven story. Like, like the, the let's let's take a step back and think about this logically. The way the world is, a decentralized draft, a war room not on site uh, for a lot of these these sports, the NFL in particular. Um, from a from a financial standpoint, the amount of money that these teams invest in sending a couple dozen people to the draft every year, putting them in the hotels in destination cities, that's an enormous cost. And you compare that to the amount of money they could be making by having their own draft party, uh, legitimately at home with the GMs on site with, pl- uh, you know, d- players from the, the active roster there to, to meet and greet fans and how much gear they'll sell. It makes so much more economic sense to decentralize but, and have these things happen in their home cities. Doesn't it?
1: Let me, let me pause on that. You know how incredibly small time it makes you sound if you're grousing about the cost of sending people to the draft.
0: Why does it wh- hold on Th- that's economic reality like uh, you're talking
1: that's a cost it's of it's not doing, about
0: cost being, do- it cost of doing business what but what what business are you doing you're doing business so so i, I can go talk to these guys at the fence <laughs> at the at the draft like the the cost of doing business the better business to do is locally the better See, business to is- do is to put those resources into having a giant draft party somewhere you know, in in New Jersey or in Philadelphia or wherever, where all your fans can show up, congregate amongst themselves, uh, and then you put all your resources in trying to make it as entertaining as possible for those people. We should, have, we, we, like should that's,
1: have, that's, that's, we should we should have led with this one because this this is for a bigger conversation. I'm saying from the micro level of the teams just wanting to do whatever makes just sense for them, whether it's financial or otherwise. I think I think capital H hockey. I think the NHL does the draft better than any other league does. Wow. I do. That's
0: that's a mighty boast considering what the NBA and the NFL look like. That's
1: fine. I think the way the NHL does it is better than all of them. Um, Let's start next week on that one. Let's start next week on the draft. Um, but But real quick, real quick. Yeah. Like, it's
0: going to happen. And, and it's going to happen because they're asking about it. I and think it and will. you have to also remember that, the, that the, the end result of this could easily be that the best players in the next generation of the NHL are being selected at a destination site like Disneyland or someplace else mm. uh, that's going to make for absolutely fantastic visuals, fantastic television, and everybody watching from the 32 draft parties around the league will absolutely love it.
1: We'll pause on that one. Uh, great stuff. We're just talking seven days. You got it. Greg Wyszynski from ESPN, uh, here for MVSW Redux each and every week.